Are you familiar with the story of the famous oil field called Yates Pool? Let me tell you a little bit about it. Um, during the Depression, this field was a sheep ranch owned by a man named Yates. Well, Mr. Yates wasn't able to make enough money raising sheep to pay his mortgage. So what does he do? He tried to find everything to try to protect his ranch. He was in danger of losing it. And with what little money he had for clothes and food, his fam family had to live on welfare. Well, day after day, as his sheep grazed on the rolling hills of West Texas, he was consumed with worry about how he would pay his bills. Well, there was a crew from an oil company that came into the area and they told them there might be oil on his land. So they asked permission to drill an exploratory well and he signed a lease contract to do so. As they drilled at 1,115 feet, they struck a huge oil reserve. In fact, the first well came in at 80,000 barrels of oil a day. Now, many subsequent wells were more than twice as large. In fact, 30 years after the original discovery, one of the old wells was shown to still have the potential to flow 125,000 barrels of oil a day. And Mr. Yates, he owned it all. You see, the day he purchased the land, he owned the oil and mineral rights. Now think about this. In his most desperate financial moments, he was a multimillionaire living in poverty. The problem? He didn't know. He didn't know the oil was there, even though he owned it. Now take that story. Apply it to the Christian life. Many Christians live in spiritual poverty, not realizing they have the energizing, life-giving, abundant life of the Holy Spirit. In Romans chapter 1 through 7, Paul has only mentioned the Holy Spirit a couple of times, but now in chapter 8, our text for this morning, he will speak of the Holy Spirit 18 times. And one of the facets of God's good news in Jesus is that the Holy Spirit enters our lives to transform our thinking, to transform our thinking after we have been saved from our sin. You see, the Christian life is a life, uh, a life step with the Holy Spirit. Listen to Romans 8. Five to seven. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit, they have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's laws, nor can it do so. Man, what a powerful text. It shows us that the Holy Spirit gives us a new mindset. May that bring you relief in hearing it. You see, to do what is right in God's eyes, God doesn't tell us to buckle down and just do it. It doesn't start with willpower. Anybody else thankful for that? That's good news, because if you're like me, willpower is what you tend to lack. Right living comes from the right mindset, proper thinking. It's an issue of the mind. And this is where we tend to get stuck in our Christian lives. We try to mature in the Christian life by willpower instead of by the Holy Spirit's work 
in us. Back in 2005, I learned a new term, one I never thought I'd ever hear. It's often referred to by the initials alone, FTT. What it means is this, failure to thrive. You see, my daughter Michaela was born in 2005 in Taiwan. And two months after her birth, Michaela was taken to the doctor for a wellness check. And in that two-month period, she lost weight. She had not grown an inch, and her color was grayish. The doctor on his report uh, diagnosed her as FTT, failure to thrive. Now, we got the call from Taiwan, and when we received that diagnosis, they couldn't tell us why she couldn't thrive. All they said, she wasn't able to. And that's what makes the diagnosis so frustrating. It is a mysterious phrase that sounds like an explanation, but in reality, it explains nothing. We would eventually learn that Michaela's failure to thrive was due to a heart defect. Well. Like many Christians, we sense we are failing to thrive in Christ, but that does not explain anything, does it? And this is why I'm personally thankful for the author, Dallas Willard. He wrote a book uh, uh, that had a profound impact on my life. And the title of the book was this, The Spirit of the Disciplines. The Spirit of the Disciplines by Dallas Willard. I would highly recommend it to you if you're looking for something to read. In the book, Willard explains that we tend to think of the word salvation as the forgiveness of sins or the escape from punishment. But in scripture, salvation has a much more robust meaning. In fact, here's what Willard says. The simple and wholly adequate word for salvation in the New Testament is life. Write that down somewhere. Salvation is life. In fact, let me just give you a few examples from Scripture. How about this one? I come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. John chapter 10, verse 10. Or 1 John chapter 5, verse 12. He who has the Son has life. And even when we're dead through our trespasses, God has made us alive together with Christ. Ephesians 2.5. Life, life, and more life. John Ortberg says this, thrive is a life word. Thriving is what life was intended to do, like a flower stubbornly pushing through a crack in the sidewalk. It is why we pause and wonder at a human being's first step, or first word. It's why we ought to wonder at every step and every word. Thriving is what God saw when he made life and saw that it was good. Thrive. It was the first command given. Be fruitful and multiply. That's good. You see, to enable the Christians to thrive with life, God gave us the Holy Spirit so we can think the way Jesus does. Now, as Paul puts it, he says this, we have the mind of Christ, the mind of Christ. Now, you remember when you were a child, remember when your mom or dad would say, Troy, you better mind me. Now, what do they mean by that? You better mind me. I may have been young, but I understood that my parents meant this. Troy, 
you better have in your mind the priorities I have in my mind as your parent. You see, our sinful nature constantly says, mind me. But now the Holy Spirit within us, he says, no, mind me. See, I'm your Lord now, the Holy Spirit says. And that's where the thriving life with Christ begins, minding the voice of the Holy Spirit. Uh, let's go back to Romans chapter 8. Uh, open your Bibles to that and let's unpack a few things that, that are in this text. Uh, we read in Romans 8 verses 6 to 7 that life oriented to our sinful nature is lethal. Verse 6 says, the mind of sinful man is death. You see, it's like having the brain and the heart of the grim reaper. But the Holy Spirit gives us an alternative way to think. He offers us a meeting of the minds. His mind and our mind come together. When we talk to him and seek his way of thinking, he enables us to think righteously. And then we do what is good and right. We do it with a godly love. Uh, Paul wrote in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, be transformed by the, you know it, renewing of your mind. That word renew, it literally means to take off the old and to think and put on the new way of thinking with the Holy Spirit. And then it goes on to say this, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. To think and live in a Christian way, we need to pray and think our way through life quietly. Uh, let me give you an example. You Maybe you could say this, Lord, that really ticked me off what they did to me. Now what do I do? And then listen with the mind of Christ. Or maybe you pray this, Lord, I'm not sure how to handle my child's defiance. What do you think? And then we listen with the mind of Christ. Or how about this one? Lord, I hurt so badly, I don't know what to think or do. Please help me and keep me from sin. And then you listen with the mind of Christ. You see, the mind of Christ we possess comes from the Holy Spirit. It's guided by the truth of God's word. Uh, it's modeled by uh, the lives of mature Christians that we watch and interact with. And through the memories that we know about the Christian life, this is how the Holy Spirit reshapes our natural habits so we think righteously. You see, when we think righteously with God's thoughts, we act righteously. Let's put it this way. The Holy Spirit helps disciples make up our mind. Let's go back to our text. Romans 8, 6 says, The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. Now, think of what Romans says a mind governed by the flesh brings. Did, did you catch the list in the text? Death, hostility against God, the inability to submit to God. Think of what those things do to your mind and to your heart. You see, there's a huge lie that says sin is satisfying. It says things like greed is good. It says that sex outside of marriage is fun and it's normal. Uh, it says that everyone lies now and then, so what's it hurt? It says that evil is entertaining and you that you have to take care of yourself, that you have to always be number one. 
And we all think that our minds of flesh know more than God does. May I ask you a difficult question? How's that working for you? How are our minds of flesh wreaking havoc on our souls? How are our minds of flesh twisting our thinking, making it harder to live out of God-honoring love? Paul's saying disobeying God kills us. Isn't that true? We can think of recent times when our disobedience unsettled us or it confused us or it darkened our thinking. We know people who suffer from moral weakness and they're disintegrating before our eyes. Their lives are coming apart at the spiritual seams because they don't have the mind of Christ. They have the mind of flesh. Now consider the alternative. When we live from the mindset of the Holy Spirit, Romans 8, 6 promises life and peace. You see, Christ's life in us by his Holy Spirit renews. Even in terrible circumstances, life with Jesus brings us to a place of peace with God and and his love for us. So here's the question. Are you thriving in the life of the Holy Spirit? Uh, Let's jump down to Romans chapter 8, verse 11. It says this. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. What a verse. Even while God is renewing our minds, these bodies, this flesh and blood, it's dying. And the Holy Spirit living in us was the very force that raised Jesus from the dead Easter morning. So when our bodies die, and they will, those that are in Christ, that same mighty spirit of Jesus will breathe his breath into us and we will rise from our graves clothed with immortality. Powerful. Lee Eklov writes this. What will make our bodies so glorious is not that we will become superheroes with x-ray vision or superhuman strength or the ability to leap tall buildings. Uh, Those things may be true. I don't know. But they pale in significance to the fact, this is important, the fact that our bodies will be free from sin and sickness, that these are bodies fit for eternal life. Our minds will be unhindered by the lies and stupidities of this world. Our hands will only serve the Lord. Our eyes will be worthy of holy sight. Our ears will be able to hear the hymns of heaven and our tongues will speak only blessing. And our hearts, our hearts will be clean enough, big enough and loving enough to embrace the glory of God. Not only does the Holy Spirit bring our minds to life in the Lord, but he will also resurrect our bodies. Wow, talk about a makeover. That is life. Because of the life of Jesus in us, we are indebted to the Holy Spirit to live in obedience to his lead. You see, he is the Holy Spirit. His guidance leads to holiness. Uh, Look at Romans 8, 12 to 13, verse 12. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation. Catch that. We have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, 
you will live. You see, as sinners, one option we have is to live like a debtor who owes a growing debt to our sinful nature, what Paul calls the flesh. So I want you to picture our flesh. Uh, picture, as a, picture it as a hitman for a loan shark. Imagine your flesh as a muscular thug dressed in black with an intimidating scowl on their face and holding a crowbar. And they take that crowbar in one hand and they repeatedly pound it into their other hand. They're ready to mess you up. Now imagine your flesh with an intimidating hitman voice that threatens to break your kneecaps if you don't pay up. If you don't do what the flesh wants you to do, he's going to break your kneecaps with that crowbar. So imagine our flesh saying something like this. Look. You got a deal here. Your sin is so great, I own you. So if I say sin, you must sin. You have no choice. I'm sure we've all heard that voice in our heads. I own you, and if I say sin, you have no choice but sin, and you feel trapped. We're in debt to the flesh. But as Christians, the threats of our flesh, listen to this church, they're lies. I like how the message paraphrases Romans 8, 13. It says this, we don't owe this old do-it-yourself life one red cent. We're not in debt to the flesh. If we never surrender to the Holy Spirit and always cave to the threats of the flesh, Paul says we will die. So what is the alternative? And here's the good news. Every day, every day as a Christian, Jesus comes up to us and he says, your sins were killing you and I've forgiven them all, past, present, and future. In fact, what's more, I've given you myself, Jesus says. You have my Holy Spirit living in you. He's there for you to share your feelings with and to share your thoughts with. He's there to make you holy. The Holy Spirit is in us to reshape our desires to mirror the desires of Jesus, to help us think like Jesus. And in return for the amazing gift of the Holy Spirit, the debt we owe Jesus is in verse 13, by the Spirit to put to death the misdeeds of the body. You see, part of the Christian life is killing the sinful practices that spring up within us. I like how John Stott puts it. He says this, it means a ruthless rejection of all practices we know to be wrong. It's a daily repentance, turning from all known sins of habit, practice, association, or thought. It's killing the sins of the flesh. Are you and I daily putting to death the misdeeds of the body? Or are we allowing the misdeeds to continue to live in us? Wrestle with that question. Finally, in verses 14 to 17, we see how the Spirit helps us understand our identity, our identity as children of God. Verse 14 says this, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him, we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ. 
if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we also share in his glory. You see, the Spirit changes our status from slaves and debtors to the flesh to children of God. And this is why we are able to now cry differently for help. Verse 15 says, we cry, Abba, Father. Just think of a child. A child's cry is a confession of need for the parent. So our cry to God confesses our need for the Heavenly Father, our new relationship with God as one of his children. Such a relationship, it would be impossible without the Holy Spirit. With the Holy Spirit, we no longer live under the debt of sin, but we are free. We are free to live as children of God. And that, my brothers and sisters in Christ, is good news.